welcome back to the Zeitcast, everybody. I'm especially excited about today's episode because, and our guest today doesn't need an introduction <laughs> for many of you, because of course she is a legend in her own right. Oh, God. The right reverend, <laughs> Cece Jones Davis, is one of my dearest friends in the world. She's one of the people that made me say, I have to move to Oklahoma City. She is anointed and appointed. She has an MDiv from Yale. She's an amazing <laughs> singer. Um, she's a great preacher. She's preaching at Evolving Faith this year, which I'm very excited about. So exciting. There's nothing she can't do. What can you not do, Cece? Are there things you can't do? Lots of things. <laughs> I cannot do lots of things. Hi, everybody. So nice to be with y'all. It's so good Thanks, to have you. Jonathan. Oh, she's an activist and uh, in Oklahoma won Abolitionist of the Year for her work on the death penalty. We were all very excited yes, about that. You. That was recent. Thank you. So um, here's, here's what's happening today. If, um, and it may be this way anyway, if it were just me and the microphone today, then I think you might just get wild ranting and raving. It still <laughs> might be wild ranting, raving, spitting, and Maybe. spewing, but I thought at least there would be, it would be helpful um, to have the discernment that to comes. To have a partner. To have a partner. Who is wild ranting yes, and raving. Yes. What's wrong with that? I need a partner in the wildness okay. right now. Hey. I don't want to be alone in my I'm wildness. I'm your girl. I'm, I'm the one for the job. <laughs> you, you really are. Like, you really are. So <laughs> I'm the one. I was telling Cece just before we started that one of the things I really want to do with the Zeitcast in general, especially since it's daily, is, and part of the whole motif was like, this is going to be fun. Like, this isn't like all those heavy, like, shipwreck pictures. This is going to be a good time, and it's going to be zany and whatever. And, of course, as it turns out, it's just a heavy season yeah. with all sorts of heavy-ish happening in the world. Yeah. And it's been especially heavy weekend. But it feels like it's all been, um, but things have been ramping up for a while, too. And I know within our own spaces, yeah. we're both talking about a lot of these things. So how about this, though? Like, maybe instead of jumping straight into, I mean, and it can go there first, but yeah. it kind of like the macro big picture stuff. Let me start with this. In the midst of all these things, like, how, how is your own heart right now? Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking that question. I don't think anybody has asked me that. How is my heart? Man, my heart is heavy. Mm. My heart is um, sad, you know? Mm. My heart is confused about some things. Um, and I think, honestly, I think right now I'm just kind of, you know, um, grateful that there's a psalmist who says something about the heart, that my heart might fail. Mm. But God is the strength of my heart. Like, my heart just might be failing me right now. Mm. Just because there's so many things um, that are that are happening and it's hard to keep up. It's hard to have the emotional space for all that is happening. It's hard to have the language for all that is happening and how you really feel about it, how I really feel about it. And so, um, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, my heart is burdened, mm. you know? And, um, yeah, it might need a little help. Yeah. <laughs> it might need a little help right now because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to contend with. Uh, in the world. Mm. I appreciate you saying what you did about kind of the overstimulation 
and even the confusion because I feel like, you know, and I'm not saying this because she's here, other people, anybody who knows me has heard me talk about Cece and so many of you heard. I don't know if I even said in the midst of all, before, of all that before, of course, she's the teaching pastor of the table, so we trade mm-hmm. off on preaching there. And of course, I think her sermons are genius. But I think especially interesting when, because I think both of us feel very called to do what we're doing, is then you occupy these public spaces where there's this sense of, I don't know, not that we have this, we're the prophets or something, but you're trying to give some kind of a word from God, some kind of discernment perspective. Yeah. But in the midst of all that, you know, you're a human being, you're not a machine. And it's like, it's, it's a, it's a lot to feel. And it what a is. weird thing when so many people then are pulling on you and looking for that kind of perspective and hope. Yeah. And you're still trying to find a way Maybe. emotionally to navigate That's stuff yourself. That's right. So just kind of in terms of where my heart is and where it's been, I am really understanding more in the season of my life how important lightheartedness is mm-hmm. and how intentional a person like me has to be about lightheartedness mm-hmm. because I'm naturally really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to you know, the, um, the problem I'm mm-hmm. drawn to, I guess that has to do with, um, my, my call as well, but I'm kind of just drawn to kind of focus on, yeah. um, you know, what the news is saying or whatever. And so I'm having to really be inten- more intentional about having fun mm-hmm. and knowing and understanding that joy is like a form of resistance. Yes. yes. You know, joy is a mm-hmm. form of spiritual resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, emotional resistance against the the darkness mm-hmm. of of our present age. So um, that's kind of where I am, mm-hmm. and I and I, I I've never appreciated joy more than I do right mm-hmm. now. I've never appreciated comedy shows and cartoons yeah. and colorful things more than I do right now. I've never appreciated the sound of my children's laughter mm, more I than I that. do right now. I love that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, my head and heart space, right? My heart space is. That's, that's such a good word, Cece. And I think that whole idea of joy is resistance. It's interesting how it feels like, you know, at least for me right now, it's almost like you have to operate on two tracks because I feel like on the one hand... Um, and, and, and for me, by the way, when we talk about this whole thing of being prophetic, it's not a synonym for saying, like, being especially enlightened or something. I mean, I would even put it like this. No. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the spirit that sighs and groans. Yeah. And we're in a time of sighing and groaning to be in touch, to be emotionally available right. with what's happening in the world around us is, is to sigh and groan. And I think that has to do both with the way that God sighs and groans, but also with the way people in all kinds of oppression are sighing and growing. Let's, um, even at the table the last few weeks, I keep trying to get away from the prophets, but the Old Testament text, it's been uh, Amos, it's been Hosea. I have not been able to get away. And it's like every single word, I feel like, from those texts has been so negative. But I feel <laughs> like if I'm speaking honestly about what's going on in the world, like it is negative and I don't know how to put a bow on it. Right. I don't know how to resolve it. Um, if, I mean, as best as I can discern, like what God's saying, cause I don't want to be like those prophets in Jeremiah who are saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. Right. And we have, we have a word from the Lord, but there is no word from the Lord. Right. Like I don't want to do that. So, so on the one hand that feels like faithfulness, but the, the, the flip side of it, uh, and I think it's so important, you can't live underneath that all the time. And I think like, so even if there is this corporate 
communal word that really is like heavy, finding that personal space where there's joy. I love what you said about your kids laugh. And yes, like comedy shows. You know what? Like last night, um, I spent about an hour. I, I don't know if this is bad to say. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I care. Um, you know, Jim Baker has that show and he's always peddling the okay, end I, times. I've never seen it. Have you not? Okay. No. Well, Jim Baker, the famous televangelist has the show where he's always like peddling like end times buckets. Like they're like, it's like apocalypse survival stuff. And there's a guy ah. who spent the last couple of years just editing those ingenious ways to be even more zany than it actually is. I spent like two hours watching that late last night when I got in from a plane off of Springfield. Did you laugh? I laughed so hard, <laughs> I almost couldn't get up off the floor. Like, I, I am still <laughs> in pain. <laughs> and, and it was like, on the one hand, I know it's kind of sad because I feel like old people are getting fleeced with this and this is yeah. all awful. I mean, he's selling these things like $2,500 a pop and it's like almost almost incur almost directly saying like you know hey even if you're on your social security you should be doing this or whatever but on the other hand it's like that kind of being parodied was what my heart needed like the, the, there was yeah. a bite in it even yeah. that like it just was good it was yeah. good and I'm like I can't I can't even apologize for finding this really funny right now like, yeah, this is man, what I need you know, in this moment we just have to laugh to keep from crying you that's know? the truth and um yeah, th these are the times to find to find laughter in whatever we can yes. find laughter in. You know, I, I that's yeah, that's what I think. That's kind of sad though. It is sad. But it is funny. It is. I mean, it's it, it, if you see them. Vic yeah. Burger's the guy named who's uh, edits these on YouTube. I have to fire up the link at some point because <laughs> like I would watch these. I could watch them hours on end. Like I would never get tired of this. It's awful. It's so funny. But I think like. Um, I think there's such a difference, and you embody this so well, because what you're talking about is not, because you're the opposite of this, you're not talking about putting your head in the sand. This is not oh, full-fledged escapism. This no. is coming up for air. Yeah. This is oxygen. Yeah. This is, if I'm going to be any good for anybody else in the world, yeah. for your kids, yeah. for the people that we love, for our friends, for our calling and vocation, to even have the strength to be able to deliver some kind of a word. You can't do it unless you come in out of the storm sometimes. Totally. I mean, for, you know, I think more than anything, it's about balance. Yeah. You know, and some, that's something I have never done very well. I'm trying to learn better now. Um, but, you know, everybody needs balance. You can't stay in the rain all the time. Yeah, you that's know right. What I mean? That's right. Any extreme is going to make you sick. Yeah. And, um, you know, and just trying to be a healthy person to live as long as I can, to be a good example to my kids, mm -hmm. you know, to... Um, to be the kind of mom that mom that's responsive to their childhood yes. in yes. a in a good way, you know. Um, I need, I have to come out of the rain sometimes, yeah. but I'm like just realizing that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's not like a revelation I've been I've had a long time or something mm -hmm. I've even been walking. Up. Like I'm literally trying to learn right now mm -hmm. how to come out of the rain. Yeah, how to say you know what? I can't. That's that's. I can't do that today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And to kind of put some um, barriers, I guess, around uh, my emotional space. Because, yes. yes. you know, other, otherwise you just, um, you just fair game for, for just all of the evil. Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, I just can't, you know, it's just not a good thing. Well, I mean, for as much as, again, you know how much I believe in only engagement, but I also have thought a lot lately. I don't think any of us are even built. Like, I don't think we're designed for a 24-hour news cycle. No. Because the nonstop nope. input, constant information, and what that means for me a lot of times, if you're not careful, 
like your your emotions are always dictated by whatever's going on the outside. That's like right. that is a fragile place to live That's right. where it const- everybody has constant access. Yeah. And then if you're not being intentional to kind of create spaces where your own soul is kind of being cared for, like, you, and you, I don't know, I just think it, it's possible then to just be manic yeah. almost all the time. Yeah, totally. And it's like, again, it's really about balance, right? Because the opposite of that is to be so disengaged that you don't yes. know what's going on in the world yes. that we just say, well, you know, this is the end times and Jesus is coming back and we do not lean into, um, you know, being soft and light in the ways that I feel like, you know, we're called to be or to be prophetic in the ways that we're called yes. to be. Um, and God knows we've had way too much of that, you yes. know, of, of us just kind of burying our heads in the sand and yeah. doing our own thing and living on our own bubble and everything is good with us. And so thank you, Jesus. Like, you know, we've had way, way too much of that. And yes. so, you know, again, it's for me, it's really about like trying not to live in extremes, yeah. you know, yeah. and really trying to walk, walk a road where, you know, Jesus, you know, engaged and then Jesus disengaged. Mm-hmm. And he, he had an ebb and flow to that, mm-hmm. that, that compels me, you yes. know, yes. that, that uh, inspires me, yes. you know. Um, and I want to, you know, I want to learn how to ebb and flow in that way so that I can go back and get the energy, yes. the inspiration and the, and the, um, the understanding that I need mm-hmm. to then come back and engage mm-hmm. and be what I need to be, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. not, and not just be angry, right, <laughs> you know, but, right. be pa- but be passionate and have something to say. Yeah. To have something to contribute other than like my my rage or my yes. exhaustion. And listen, the rage is real. The rage is real. Like, you know, I think it was um, James Baldwin who said um, back in the 1960s to to be a black person. And I'm paraphrasing, but to be a black person in America is to and to be conscious on some level is to be in a rage all the time. Yeah. And I think that's true, not just for African-American people. I think that's true for lots of people that just have levels of consciousness, awakeness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an awareness to what's kind of happening and what we see in an emotional response mm-hmm. to those things. It is like it is a time of of rage. And I think that most of that, a lot of that rage, I won't say most of it. I think a lot of that rage is holy. Yes. I think without yes. that rage, we would be sitting here like twiddling our thumbs, like not saying anything substantial at all, not doing anything substantial at all, you know? So I'm like not one of the people that say, oh, don't be angry. No, 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 no. no. Anger motivates us. That's right. And in in ways that we need to be motivated. And um, yes. Well, I think especially when like rage is not just kind of bottled in in some kind of weird way, but actually presented before God in a way that can be sanctified. Like Absolutely. when presented before God, rage can be transfigured to become fuel. Absolutely. Like then I think that that's the thing is like, because reading the prophets right now, I'm getting so much rage, but it's a transfigured rage mm-hmm. because I think, you know, rage that's not transfigured can just be destructive, but rage that is transfigured. Like when God gets a hold of it, yeah. then that fire it will send you, it may burn you, but it also like, it, it does transform. It does transfigure. Like Absolutely. it's not, it's not just burning things down. Absolutely. Though I am in somewhat of a burning down mode too. It's, yeah. you know, and I don't think at all, I'm so self-conscious, like as a white guy, I don't think I identify at all with the kind of rage that like Baldwin talks about. But I think like what I'm, what I'm, the wall I'm hitting a lot right now is just, 
And I'm, I think a lot of us kind of feel this way that have been in certain kind of spaces when you've been trying to say the same things to the same people forever, yeah. and they're just not listening, and nothing moves, seems to move the needle, and um, that kind of, you know, but, well, one thing in particular I wanted to get your thought, and this might be a way of kind of wading into some of those issues, so I wasn't sure there's so much to talk about um, how I want to do this, but I, I, I was really intrigued by how you described that other form of escapism that is not, you know, okay, I'm just going to hide under the covers and watch Netflix for four months. But that version that says, well, Jesus is coming. Yeah. And because um, this is maybe the thing that is driving me most bananas in this moment. I think um, most anybody that I know that on any level loves Jesus, professes some kind of Christian faith, even kind of a nominal Christian faith, everybody knows that something's deeply wrong. Yeah. Nobody is okay with mass shootings right. everybody feels like something should be done yeah but i feel like right now i'm hearing from so many voices that give this sort of pietistic simplistic individualistic man everybody just needs to turn to jesus and if we just pray and it's interesting because on the one hand like i do want everybody to turn to jesus mm-hmm. I Me do too. want everybody to pray. I like Me I, too. I'm on board with so much of that. And yet what I struggle with is I'm so convinced, just like Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Like Jesus is a way. Yeah. And what seems so clear to me right now is a lot of people who profess Christianity in North America don't understand the ways in which Jesus is a way. Because it feels like a lot of where we are, we've had people who, at least in terms of nominal Christianity, have been in power forever. Like, this is the world that people like me have created. This is the world that we built. Yeah. And Jesus has been in the mix. There has been a kind of prayer. There has been a kind of civil religion. And so it just begs the question for me, like, okay, turn to Jesus. Which Jesus do you mean? What Jesus are you talking about? Yeah, because, you know? because it's very, very clear that we are not a monolithic people. Yes. Like, yes. And so when we talk about, you know, um, being a, 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 a Christian nation, that really confuses me because um, we, so many of us think about Jesus differently, um, follow, follow Jesus differently. And I'm not, I don't have the rule to say, you know, who's a Christian, who's not. Sure. Like, that's not my, that's not my role and that's not my thing. But we have such different views on who mm-hmm. Jesus actually is mm-hmm. that how can we name ourselves as as a, a as a as a Christian as a Christian nation when we are so not non monolithic yeah. you know when we have so many thoughts and those thoughts oftentimes don't take us in the same direction mm-hmm. you know and you know going back to something you said. In terms of the mass shootings, I'll tell you, you know, um, and I don't think some of my friends liked it, but I, this is what I think anyway. I, I like I'm completely out of thought. Mm. I'm completely out of prayer. Mm. There, when I when I see um, a shooting happening, mm-hmm. I I do not have any more thoughts. Yeah, and I do not have any more prayers. Yeah, I have I have nothing unique to offer this. Yeah. It, the only thing I've ever had was the fact that 
um, God is not going to do what he has empowered us to do. That's right. God, God has made us free moral agents, yes. and he is not going to come down here and write out it, scribble anything down and submit it to um, the, the House or the Senate. Yes. He's not going to do that. And so, well, in my opinion, what we are going to have to do is determine um, what, what, it, what things are most important to us. Yeah. Whether the whether our guns and the in the way that our we have had our guns mm-hmm. are the most important thing mm-hmm. to us, or if people's lives are more important than mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that we have an idolatry mm-hmm. when yes. it comes to gun mm-hmm. culture in our country. Yes. I come straight out of the sticks of Virginia, mm-hmm. straight out of gun culture. I had a. 22 rifle with a scope by the time I was 12 years mm-hmm. old. And so I, I, this is a culture I understand very well. I'm not removed from um, anything of the like. But I have, um, there is something in me that says that none of that is more important than making sure that children are safe. Yes. None of that is yes. more important than yes. making sure people can walk into Walmart and go up and down the aisles with some level of mm-hmm. security. Now, you know, and then some of my friends will pipe back and say, you know, well, you know, you can't, you know, they, these are issues of the heart, and they very well are. Sure. They are absolutely issues of the heart. But you know what? There are also issues of policy. Yes. And while we can't, we, while we're waiting on people's hearts to change around yeah. whether they, uh, going to be hateful and go out here and you know just kill up the world. We can we don't have time to worry about people's hearts to that degree. Yeah. yeah. When people are losing their their lives behind what's in people's hearts. Yeah. What we need is what we have always needed in these cases, which is policy. Yeah. Because we could not wait for people's hearts to change when we needed anti-lynching laws. Yeah, we could That's not right. wait for people's hearts to change when we needed desegregation laws. Yes. We could not wait for people's hearts to change when it came to um, um, terrible Jim Crow laws. Yeah. We could not wait for laws to change when it came to um, ending, abolishing slavery in this country. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, we cannot wait for people's hearts to change in order to do the next right thing. Yes. And the next right thing is about the freedom and the pursuit of liber- life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness of all people in our country. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, if our gun, if our guns, mm-hmm. and the ways that we have held on to our guns, and the ways we've thought about our guns, if if that has to change, then yes. so be it. Yes. Because I don't see a scripture. I can't find a scripture that would um, that would value the culture that we have around guns more than it would value human life. No. And as a pro-life person, from the from the womb to the grave, for me personally, I there is there's no conversation to be had yeah. around this when we continue and continue continuously see people die. Yes. When when laws wouldn't necessarily, we can't say laws would absolutely fix it because evil people are going to do what they're going to do, and that I think that that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. But barriers help. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, barriers help. Um, If someone had to get, you know, across the board in our country, uh, some sort of mental health evaluation Mm -hmm. that's a little bit deeper, then 
they might think twice about mm-hmm. being able to go get a gun yeah. that might stop their access. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not trying to politicize your show. I yeah, just, the, 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 I this just, is what we do. You know, I, I, I you know, um, I'm totally um, for for guns in the proper context. I'm not trying to take away anybody's gun. I'm personally at this point in my life, even having been grown up in gun gun culture mm-hmm. and um, at one point in my life having like perfect aim. Like mm. I, I um. I, I'm just personally very unnerved by it all because yeah. I understand the power that's yeah. in my hands. Yeah. And so I, you know, like I don't personally want to own a gun, but you know, I think that we all should have the right. Yeah. It's just that we just need some barriers. I mean, CC, like, I mean, the, everything you're saying, I mean, one, um, I think this is so crucial that we are called to be in Paul's language, co-laborers with God. We yeah. co-create. God puts these things into our hands this idea that somehow pray and fairy Jesus is going to come and fix it has never been how the world has worked. Like God is trying to teach us how to drive here. Like that's the idea. And I just think part of what's so hard for me about this conversation, Cece, because this is the thing that makes me want to just bang my head against the desk. Like right now, every ounce, every shred of data, there is nothing to back this idea that laws and legislation do not help. In Australia, they had one mass shooting. And the next day, I mean, like, you know, can you get a gun in the black market? Sure, you can get a semi-automatic weapon for $40,000. Right. Do you have any idea how how much that barrier helps? I mean, same thing like in the UK. We're the only nation in the world that has more guns than we have people. Yeah. And you, 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 it's these statistics have been circling everywhere. You, but, but like, it's but it's so true. When you look at like, we have more mass shootings this year than we have days in the year. And the closest thing to us, and uh, you know, a number two is not even like. I mean, it's just it, it's just so astronomical. This idea that laws and regulations don't make a difference. And part of what's so grievous about it, like the conversation always becomes, and like these are hard things to say. And I know this pisses people off. But I do think the NRA at this point, I identify as a terrorist organization. It's like, which is so (laughs) hardcore. But see, here's my deal. Like, don't talk to me about the Second Amendment when we're talking about basic uh, gun reform. Even Things as basic as like waiting periods, what you talked about in terms of like uh, mental health evaluations, like the most basic kind of gun reforms have been pushed back on here. I mean, I honestly feel like, you know, when Sandy Hook happened, and we had the opportunity. It's like, okay, if we won't take even one constructive step to protect to protect our kids. I mean, to me at this point, and this is even how I understand like the judgment of God. It does feel like a kind of judgment in that not that God is mad at us, so he's giving it to us. But at a certain point, God just gives us over to the consequences of our own actions. Like we do get to choose here. Yeah, we do. And this is a reality that we are that we are choosing. We are choosing. I, I, you use the word that's so loaded, but I think it's so necessary. And it's and that word is idolatry. Like there has to be a spiritual power behind this. The fact that otherwise rational people can't seem to make the connection between cannot see that this is something that we have control over. There is a spiritual power to it. It's precisely to me what we see in the Old Testament when God's always having to come at his people about Baal worship. It's like even when um, the emphasis on, but well, well, no, but we need our guns to protect. It's like, okay, where do you put your weight down? Where is your trust? If your weight and your, if you put your weight down, you put your trust down like in your guns 
rather than in the Lord. I don't. I just think it's there's a profoundly spiritual dynamic here. Yeah. So in that regard, when people say like it's spiritual and it's a hard issue, like, well, of course I agree. I think it's I think it's terribly spiritual. But I also think the world is integrated in that way. Yeah. You know, like it's not just about hearts and minds hey, and listen, disembodied spirits. I think it's. I think that it's a real sign uh, and symbol within. Um, white nationalism. Yes. Um, and when I say, I, I should qualify it further, um, white Christian nationalism, mm. yes. which is an odd kind of thing to put all together for me. But there, I don't know another appropriate word for it. Like, yeah. you know, there does seem to be an idolatry of the Second Amendment. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all, again, folks, I'm all for rights. I just... Um, I think that we just, you know, when we evolve into um, what we have, what our society is evolving into now, I think Mm -hmm. it's time to take a a step back to say, how do we need to rearrange ourselves Mm -hmm. um, as uh, human critters trying to live together in in a world? That's right. I, I think it's time to say, because we got the power to do that, That's I think, right. you know, it's time to say, okay, wait, you know, that might that that might have been okay for then, yes. but look at who we've become. Now what is it that we need? That's right. That's right. And again, for me, it's not about, you know, taking it away anybody's rights, but it is about, and I'll tell you this, as, um, as an upstanding citizen of these United States of America, I'm more than happy to turn in whatever card I have mm-hmm. that gave me a right to a semi-automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm totally okay with, like, giving that back to whomever gave it to me. If that means that it helps someone else not commit a mm-hmm. heinous crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we, you know, there's so many details to this whole thing. Yes. You know, and I'm not an expert in any way. I'm just a country girl with some good country common sense mm-hmm. and um who could shoot your ass if she wanted to cc could, could do it i could if i, <laughs> if I wanted to <laughs> but i don't with I, that rival with the scope <laughs> i don't want to shoot you trust me i don't i will tell you what changed my changed my um my heart about guns mm. coming out of the sticks of virginia i will tell you that um me and my sister i have a twin sister our dad um really kind of raised us to be kind of tomboys because we were his only kids and he was like doggone it somebody is going to hunt and fish and do all these things with me and so that was me and my sister we grew up hunting and fishing and um doing all these things and almost every weekend we would go um uh, we just called it shooting you know just um kind of practice shooting practice and from the time we were five we probably got a BB gun every year. We had <laughs> from the time we were five, and I mean, we were we were we were trained to shoot well um, as kids. And um, so, you know, my dad had lots of lots of guns, huge guns, little guns, everything in between. But um, when I was seventeen, he bought a new um, uh, mill. Uh, nine millimeter mm. and um so he said let's go you know let's go practice so we went over to some land that we owned that was just kind of wide open space um to practice and so he puts this nine in my hand and mm. and uh, he's behind me and my sister is over um to my right in the field and i went up to to shoot and and i did shoot 
But out of the corner of my eye, all I could see was my sister standing mm. over to the side. And the ease by which the this thing, mm. I mean, this thing was firing off so quick, I, I barely had to squeeze. I squeezed mm. once and it just went off mm. so many times. I have never picked up a gun since then because wow. the feeling that I got and the, the thing that crossed my mind was all I had to do was slightly turn. Yeah. Like, it, it would not have been a big deal at all. Mm. All I had to really do was slightly turn, mm. and the girl that I came into the world with, mm. my twin, could have just been gone, mm. could have just been dead, mm. with, I mean, effortlessly. Mm. And that put such a, um, sobered me up so mm. much. And because I realized in that moment how easy it is to kill. Mm. Just, I don't yeah. know. Just something yeah. about that just put something wow. in me. And I, I personally just haven't been able to pick up a gun. Mm. Now, my sister is FBI agent. She goes nowhere without her gun. Yeah. And she's comfortable and she's good and she knows mm. how to use it. And she's trying to, she's trying to you know, bring me back in. But I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just... That experience literally did something mm. to me. Changed me in a way. So... Um, that mm. that was really a pivotal moment for me well, in terms of kind of um, how I how I saw how I mm. wanted to participate in gun culture. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't know what we had said before that. I just, I, well, thank you for sharing that story, and I, it's so interesting to me. Like, use that language of if you slightly turn, and it's I'm just thinking about that in the opposite direction. I wonder what it would look like for us to. Slightly turn the other way right now. If we'd even yeah. slightly turn, slightly. people slightly turn. Right. Um, it just. Um, it's good. Part of what's so challenging, I think, about the moment that we're in is that you know, I am all for people talk. I mean, I'm in, I'm in these conversations all the time. Like, I do not want to turn my faith. I'm so aware of the ways that faith can be co-opted into partisan politics yeah. in an unhealthy way. Right. But the bottom line is to call Jesus Lord, it's not a partisan claim, but it is a political claim in insofar that it has implications for how we live in the world. Yeah. Even Christians who want to talk to me about the Second Amendment. I mean, I'll talk to you about the Second Amendment, but I want to say like, okay, now you understand that your constitution, your Magna Carta is the Sermon on the Mount. Like mm-hmm. that's... This is what we live by. Yeah. And I do think, like, I'm not saying that it's absolutely wrong for somebody to own a gun or shoot a rifle. And, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're so, that, that does get so tedious. This, like, it's either they want to take everybody's guns or, like, no, there, there's a lot kind of in between here. But I do think at the end of the day, it's not lost on me. That, and I know people make a big deal out of there's one passage where Jesus tells the disciples, like, to, to carry their swords when they go out. But chronologically... To me, it has such weight that Jesus tells Peter right at the crucifixion. I mean, which there's all kind of eschatological significance even that. That Jesus tells Peter when he does, put away your sword. The time of the sword is over. Mm -hmm. And like as as people who follow Jesus in particular, I'm not talking about anybody else right now. I'm talking about people who follow Jesus. (laughs) We're called to be people of the cross. The cross is the symbol of self-sacrificial love. There is a clear difference between the way of the sword or the Mm -hmm. way of the gun And the way of the cross. Absolutely. Once again, Jesus is a way. And I just like the fact that Christians seems more dug in to how they understand the second man, as if that they hold that to be more holy 
than what we believe to be most deeply true about Jesus. Our definitive image of God is Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know that what they're doing. It's just, that's the ultimate judgment, I think, on our cycles of human violence. It just doesn't work. That cycle of retribution doesn't work. How many people in that Walmart, we're talking about El Paso, Texas. How many people in that store were carrying? Yeah. I mean, like, you, there had to be people all over that store with guns, but the kind of response time even, like you're never going to have enough guns yeah. in enough places with responsible people to keep us safe from, from all the terrors that are without. That's there really right. are not. So I just think in the meantime, I, you know, we have to talk about CISA. I know we've gone a while already and thanks. Uh, and thank you, Reese. And thank you for all of you. But like, well, I've got CC. I'm getting ready to go to Ireland in a couple of days. And like, I needed y'all to get like, just some straight CC, like unadulterated. I, I, need, I need CC in the bloodstream, like in the main artery right now for me and for you. But, uh, but these conversations are so related right now, and, and I'm not making them so. It just, you know, it just is. Yeah. This whole thing of guns, and we talk about white nationalism in which guns are especially valued. And, you know, CC, even before anything happened this weekend, and by the way, um, I felt like I needed to take a bath after I read it, but I read the shooter's manifesto, you know. Yeah. Um, you, even the last few weeks, like a, a lot of folks I respect have, have been talking openly about the kind of rhetoric the president's been using, the kind of rhetoric that's, that is currently very mainstream right now. I just think, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm just teeing you up now to spike this over the net, but I just kind of, um, you know, growing up as a Pentecostal, um, I, I, in gentle ways, self-deprecating ways, not poking anybody because this is my tradition, I, I joke about us a lot. But if there's anything we get right, I think, mm-hmm. in Pentecostal charismatic spirituality, it's this idea that words have weight, that yeah. words have power. That's right. And there is a truth to that, that That's words right. have a role in the kind of reality that we create. That's right. And, and yet I feel like so many folks now seem to be in, in fundamental denial Mm-hmm. That the kind of words we use have have real ramifications yeah. in in the kind of people we form, the kind of center we create, yeah. whatever you want to say. But about you know it. what? And, and as as Pentecostals, it's not just that we understand that life and death is in the power of the tongue, right? But we also are the people of the spirit. Yes, and we are people who understand that. No matter what we are looking at or the value of the words coming out of our mouths, there is often something, most of the time, something, a spiritual implication. Mm. There's a spirit behind what is being done. And so what I'm so shocked at is how many people of the spirit Mm. are um, not discerning this. Mm. And when I say not discerning this, I'm saying... How is it that people of the spirit can't see that the president of the United States uses his platform in such divisive, vitriol ways? Mm -hmm. How is it, regardless of of, um, whether you feel like this president is in God's plan or, you know, all of that, all of that aside, he is our president the president of these United States. And I don't understand how any of us as people of the spirit mm-hmm. can't see his presence at a rally where 
where it is shout, shouted out, shoot them. Mm. Or at a different rally, it is, it is shouted out, um, send her back. Mm. Or I could go on and on and not watch our president's response to what is happening in terms of groupthink. Groupthink mm-hmm. is a psychological t- term that kind of defines our craziness right yes. now, right? But seeing the groupthink and how his presence, mm-hmm. his demeanor, mm-hmm. what he says and, and what he does not say mm-hmm. perpetuates these things in our society. So I don't understand how 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 we mm-hmm. as people who puts and know the value of the words that mm-hmm. we speak how they have life how they can contain life or death yeah. how we as the people of the spirit um understand um that it is not by might or power but by a spirit yes yes right that's that that there's spiritual stuff behind behind almost everything that's right how is it then that we can't see this stuff and discern whether we are supporters or not? Okay, now this is way off. Yeah. This, at the very least, if you can't say this is way off, can you say this ain't helpful? Yeah. Can we agree that, that this is not helpful? Can we agree that waiting 13 seconds after send her back chanting mm-hmm. to interrupt that, to not correct that, is in, in no uncertain terms supporting an mm-hmm. age-old historical racist mm-hmm. ideology mm-hmm. that people of color are not um, people of color are not American. Yeah. Or people of color don't in some way, shape, or form belong here, or that anyone would have a right to send anybody back mm-hmm. anywhere. Is there any, can, can we as the people of God, mm-hmm. can we as discerners, as, as people of the spirit, get on the same page about even that? Yeah. And, but what's, what's, what's bothered me more than anything is our complicit, complicity, mm-hmm. our silence, our catering to mm-hmm. for partisan purposes. Mm-hmm. Has been the and we will find any and every Bible verse yeah. to support this foolishness. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, whatever you're using, it's not in proper context. Mm. I can tell you that mm. because if you go, if you weigh that to the ways of Christ, yeah. and if it does, if it can't filter through the ways of Christ, then it's not going to make it. Yeah. And it's not right. Yeah. And you know, I'll go back to this. I have not. I have been very. I have been made it very clear that I am not a supporter of our president. Um, I don't wish him any harm in this world, mm-hmm. but I am not a supporter. And I, I couldn't, I cannot morally support someone who rants and raves on Twitter, who, who does not have the, in terms of character, mm-hmm. the moral restraint. I, I personally am not able, so let me just be clear, I'll put all my bias out there. I'm not a supporter of the president. I'm not. Um, My people, and when I say my people, I'm talking about um, evangelicals, Pentecostals, because I'm one of those. Yeah. Um, 
I know that there's been so many prophecies, for example, that have come forth that people are really holding on to, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, how he became president, that he's God's man. Listen, I'm not even going to pretend like I know what all God's plans are, mm-hmm. okay? I'm not. But what I will say is, is there ever a time when God's plan could be forfeited? Mm. And I think that if we went back to scripture, I think we have some examples. Mm. I think that once upon a time, Jonathan, you know the Bible better than me, but I think once upon a time, (laughs) there was a man man named Saul who God called and appointed, put him in position. But because Saul couldn't get his character together, mm-hmm. God had to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm wrong about that, get me together. Mm-hmm. No. Or out there in Twitter land, wherever y'all are, I'm sure you get it together too. <laughs> but this is the thought that I had this morning. Yes, like, yes. Let's say this is God's plan. Yes. Okay? And I humbly submit that I don't know all of God's plan about mm-hmm. anything and anybody, not even myself. Mm-hmm. Let's say that all of this, that, that the appointment of our president is God's plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that forfeits God's plan? Is there any moral failure? Is mm, there any mm. is is there any lack of character? Yeah. That would forfeit what God had in mind. Mm. And mm. if it's possible, do you think we've seen it yet? Mm. Mm. I tell you what, it's been enough for me mm. to say if I had voted for the president the first time, which I didn't, if I had voted for him the first time, I have seen enough. I have seen enough lack of repentance. Mm. I've seen enough out of his mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've seen mm. enough to never pick up uh, another device again to press vote for. Yeah. Yeah. Because at some point, at some point, God's plan can be forfeited based upon whether we can handle mm. the assignment well. Mm. Mm. Now, you know, I don't know about, you know, um, Twitter land and Instagram and everywhere else. But for me, yeah. I have seen enough. Yeah. And that for me doesn't mean that a Democrat needs to be in office mm-hmm. or a Republican needs to be in office or an independent needs to be in mm-hmm. office. That means somebody who can handle the job. Yeah needs yeah. to be in office. Yeah. So, and listen, I'm going to tell y'all now, for me, and I might begin too far. You ain't getting too far. No such thing. Okay. But for me, do I need somebody to, to, to nominally say that they're Christian? Not if their character doesn't prove it. Mm. Not if their character doesn't uphold what it means to be a Christian. And okay, yeah. I hear you folks. Well... Yeah. Nobody is perfect. God still working. You're doggone right. Nobody's perfect and God is still working, which is why we should have put him in a discipleship class Mm. before we voted him in as Mm. the president of the United States, the most Mm. powerful person on planet Earth Mm. currently. He Mm. needed to be discipled like you and me Mm. before he could go poking at a bear in North Korea, Mm. before he could be destroying our relationships with the (laughs) EU. He needed moral, mm. he needed character building. Mm. He needed to l- learn how to be a trustee of somebody's church. He mm. needed to learn how to be a door greeter at somebody's mm. church. 
He needed to learn how to work, mm -hmm. work in a parking mm -hmm. lot at somebody's church. But he did not need, we did not love this man well yeah. when we gave him the most powerful office in the world. Yeah. That was not love. Yeah. Yeah. That was selfish ambition. It was not love. Because if we loved him, we would not have done this to mm -hmm. him. Mm. But we did this. Mm. The Christian evangelical church did this. And if we loved the man, we would not have done it. Well, Cece, since you have opened up a particular Pandora's box with Saul, because I think this is... And do I have that right? Oh, you, that oh, 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 you do. And I think, I think it's hugely evocative and important. Because you think about Saul in particular, right? Okay, so what we get about Saul... I mean, we only know a handful of it because actually long before any of this, I've grappled for years with where Saul fits into the whole story. Um, for one, I used to, I, I legitimately spent a long time feeling bad for Saul in this regard, maybe because he's tall. And it's like, I'm like, why are all the bad guys in the Old Testament tall? Like, you know, of course, Goliath's a giant and Saul is head and shoulders above the others. But here's all we know about Saul in the beginning, because there's no indication that he's wicked, but we know two things about him. He was tall. And that from the very beginning, he was celebrated by the people. Hmm. And what seems implicit in the text is that Saul was addicted to the adoration of the crowd. Hmm. What is it about David that causes Saul to lose his mind? It's that when he hears the women, by the way, the women are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Hmm. Saul is a man who's always got his finger on the pulse of what people want to hear. Mm -hmm. Saul needs the adoration like a drug. It's like heroin for him. Saul needs to be liked. It's the one thing that drives him. That's what gets Saul. You never really get the impression that Saul's a fundamentally wicked man, but he so desperately needs to be liked. That's what takes Saul into deep wickedness. That's what makes him wicked. And what the other thing that's so interesting to me about Saul is that because, you know, especially in this conversation about like whether or not the president is God's man, you know, and I'm going to back up here for just a second. All of our presidents, broadly speaking, are have been Christians, at least nominally. Jimmy Carter famously specifically identified as born again. Mm -hmm. We could say uh, Reagan was probably more a nominal Christian. George Bush Sr. identified as a Christian. Bill Clinton was a Christian, but people, of course, felt like he was morally compromised. Then you've got, you know, uh, Bush Jr., famously a Christian. Barack Obama self-identifies as a Christian, but people didn't like it because they felt like, oh, liberation theology, blah, blah, blah. Wait, All Christians. Hold on, hold on. And they were people refused to believe that yes. he was a Christian. Let's back that oh, up. Oh, yes, yes, that's okay. worth backing up. The, the first African-American president yes. of the United States of America yes. was called everything but a child of God. Oh, absolutely. That's, let's get that straight, absolutely. okay? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, not, uh, he, was, he was for, in our, in our little sweet evangelical minds, he was what was the antithesis of Christianity. He was... Muslim mm -hmm. and to be Muslim mm -hmm. in our minds is to be the the worst thing yes. that anyone could ever be. But yes. please understand, and I can't sit here without saying yeah. how racist that yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How what a racist sentiment yes. it was to for our for our current president to be the to be the founder of the idea yes. of birthism. Yes. The founder of yes. the idea that Barack Obama was not even born in the United States. Yes. And for us to run with that and yes. to call that man not Christian when 
Okay. I'm oh gonna, no, I'm no, I'm glad you jumped in on that. And of course, and I think you know my drive by there. Obviously, that wasn't my conviction. I'm I'm saying like I was getting to what how evangelicals yeah, have no, kind no, of no. assessed things. But no, totally. I'm so glad you I jumped just, in. Yeah. Because I tell you, part of what's interesting, you know, and as you know this, I've spent a lot of time at Trinity United Church of Christ where the Obamas went. And Otis Moss the third, the pastor there is my friend. Like I feel like that's one that's a true city on the hill yeah. in terms of that's one of to me the one of the, the healthiest, most vibrant churches in America. So I think you're so right in terms of the deepest the deeply just all the racism that's implicit in that of denying his faith and all the things that Trump can get by with and well well he's a baby Christian he's learning but you know like with President Obama who has an explicit testimony who talks about his conversion and baptism at Trinity and and that was denied I mean practically because he wore a tan suit I mean it was about that you know the so so you know again it was but but in terms of evangelical analysis where I was. What I land, though, about the Trump thing, and this is to me is so interesting with, with Saul, is that while all of these leaders have identified as Christians and evangelicals have accepted them more or less at varying degrees, I've never seen quite the phenomenon like I have with Trump of, of, of evangelicals wanting to claim him the, the, uh, as, as our own. I, I mean, all this God's man language. I've never quite heard that the way that I have. And see, that, and, and in a way that that both complicates and illuminates this question about Saul. Was Saul God's man? Well, it depends on how you look at it. The people are saying, give us a king. Hmm. And God says, okay, well, if you want a king, all right, I'll give you a king. I'll give you somebody who's just like you. Saul was given to the people. And in that regard, he was very much God's man, but not in the way that they thought. And that's precisely how I feel about the whole Trump phenomenon. Oh, he's God's man. Oh, you better believe he's God's man, but not in the way that you mean. It's in that God, it feels like has held up a massive mirror. And like, as if like, like we're able to see an almost, uh, like, like almost in a caricaturized form, like all of the white supremacy, all of the greed, all of the excess, all of the bloated ego, all of the white fragility. It's like all of that is blown up. Okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. But even that, though, is what's so strange about the judgment of God is that it's it's actually mercy. Like for us to see ourselves that's as we really are right. is the only opportunity that we have for repentance. Yeah. And that's where, you know, but I no, I love that you ripped in this all thing, because to me, the, the two things that are so relevant there, A, he's a person who gets into deep wickedness because of his need for approval. And B, once again, he, it, it, he, the whole phenomenon of Saul is it comes out of the people's demand for a king. And what I've seen, especially because white evangelicals want a certain kind of access, because that, that part does seem to be true, is that certain faith leaders, number of televangelists, I was laughing about it, but Jim Baker literally is one of them. All oh, those folks have access to the White House like they never have before. So, so this translates into... Um, God's man, he's our king. And as much as it's hard for me to give a sympathetic reading, I do at least try to remind myself of where I think people come from. I think here's what people like that think. They think 
God gave me a platform to preach the gospel. Now this person in power has given me a seat at the table. Therefore, that broadens my platform to preach the gospel. Therefore, God has raised this person up. But you know what? This is the precise phenomenon we see over and over again in Israel. When the priests get corrupt, you know, we, I preached on that text a few weeks ago in Amos, where, you know, Amos comes along prophesying the word of the Lord, and you've got Amaziah, the priest. I mean, this is a pastor who is outright coming to the king's defense and saying, hey, Amos, you can't prophesy here. This is the king's land. That's what it feels like right now. You've got like pastors, you've got priests doing apologetics for the king to where the king doesn't even have to do the work with people of faith because they they make the argument for them. That's really, uh, you know, what I, you know, I have no, um, obviously, insight into like what the president's inner circle looks like outside of knowing that um, Paula White Kane is uh, is yeah. a big-time spiritual advisor for him. I am hoping um, that he's got some folks around him um, that are telling him the truth. Mm. Um, it does, I, there's no, I don't have any evidence of that, you know? Um, there's no fruit of that yeah. if that exists. There's no fruit of that yet, but I... I really do hope that if there aren't people around him that are telling that aren't so excited mm-hmm. to be invited to the White House mm-hmm. that they haven't like understood the 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 depth of responsibility yes. that that could actually mean for them. Yes. Um, I hope that there are some folks who you know are not so um, impressed by all of that and can really really speak some truth to power. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I know that he's got a the president has a pretty robust group of faith leaders yeah. around him. And my cool my the question that I would pose is is what are you saying to mm-hmm. the king? Mm-hmm. What are you saying to the president? Mm-hmm. And um, is your is your position is your is your platform with him getting anywhere? If yeah. you're, if you are saying, so I'm, I'm hoping, yeah. you know, that there are some, somebody, some people yeah. around him to say, yo, you're really gonna have to bring this down mm-hmm. fifty notches, dude. Yes, like, yes. You know, I, I, I do. I pray that there are some folks around him that could care, care, would care less about that White House invitation yes. than they would about. Um, about what is the, the 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 strangeness, the strange fruit that is coming out of that. Strange white fruit. Ooh, yeah. You know, I love that. That phrase is powerful. Strange fruit. Strange. Fruit. And you know, we haven't even said directly. I know, and I'm, I'm I know we've got to wrap this, but I, I I I just think it's so important. I mean, we I guess we haven't even addressed expressly yet that so like uh, in the shooting in El Paso this weekend, and this is not the first time we've seen this. The shooter in New Zealand at the mosque also, you know, using direct language that we've heard from the president's speeches. I mean, when you have this language of invaders and I mean, that not, not just the president, but there's a whole wing Absolutely. of people who consistently use this language of invasion and replacement. See that they're out to get you. They're out to take our jobs. And when people then are internalizing that message, they're hearing five and six hours a day and they're young and they're impressionable. And, you know, they feel themselves somehow marginalized for whatever the reasons, however absurd they might seem to us. Like the idea that this rhetoric is somehow, you know, I I don't know if, if, if there is any serious pushback to that anymore, but I guess the closest thing I get 
you know, every once in a while somebody will ask me, like, well, do you think the president really intended? Well, of course, no, I don't think he intended that to be him. But that's not the point. The point is when you demonize and vilify the other in this way. And, and you're the most powerful. You sit in a seat yes. that is the most powerful seat in the entire world. Yes. You cannot. I mean, if 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 words that come over pulpits are powerful. Right, right. Why or how would words over the most powerful seat in the in the world, and that's not even really arguably. Yes. How how would they not hold weight? That doesn't even make any sense. That's right. That is that doesn't make any doggone sense at all. That's right. How would? Let me go back to this. When there's a spiritual aspect as as believers that we understand to the power of words. Mm -hmm. There's a spirit behind them, Mm -hmm. right? There's also a psychological aspect to all of this, Mm -hmm. right? And that people were so upset with President Barack Obama back in the day when they wanted him to to come out and say the words extreme Islamic terrorism, right? right? I think that was the word folks wanted to use phrase, the extreme Islamic terrorism to address um, terrorist attacks Mm -hmm. around the world. And President Obama, if I I remember correctly, was not in favor of coming out to say that because he felt like that would incite Mm. people who were on the edge of becoming. And people did not understand that. What What you saw there was an understanding of how words have power. Yes. And how even though there is, extreme Islamic terrorism is a very real thing, mm-hmm. there are people that are right here on the fringe of trying to decide whether they want to do good or evil, mm-hmm. who all they need is a little push. And that little push could be feeling like every all Muslims, like we're mm-hmm. categorizing all Muslims a particular way. That's mm-hmm. the only, only little thing they need to push them yeah. to do the next heinous act. Yeah. Words have a psychological, not just a spiritual, but psychological yes. impact on people, yes. whether you're the healthiest of individuals, mm-hmm. but especially when you're not so healthy in the mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. right? And so for us to now pretend like his words don't matter, like this current president's words don't matter, yeah. and that, you know, he can say anything out of his mouth and that is all right. Well, it's the perpetuation of this this idea that I think some of us have and that words aren't so powerful or that there is not a psychological impact to to what powerful people say. And all of this to me proves the opposite, that there's absolutely a powerful impact in what powerful people say. Yes, yes. I think think that's just so crucial. This is not a kid with a Facebook account in their underwear in mom's basement. It doesn't mean the same thing. The power dynamics are different, and that does seem really lost on people. Those power dynamics are not the same. The tone that that sets, mm-hmm. not you know, not only sets in motion in terms of like what followers, but then the the reactive thing that happens after that. You know, there is um, the the implications, the reverberations that come from that. You know, it's just are 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 massive. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, go ahead. What do we? Um, and I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do, Cece? Like, because I feel like that's what so many people are are, are, are are kind of crying for right now. Like, just practically in terms of, I know we talked earlier about joy as resistance and the need for like soul care, which I think is huge. 
But I do think that there are, and that does encourage me. I think there are a lot, are a lot of people who are coming awake in different ways that they were not before, yeah. but who are new enough on the journey to where they're still trying to figure out what their place is. So within their own spheres of influence, whether that is family, their nexus of relationships at work, if it is on Facebook, Twitter, social media, or whatever, what, what do people do yeah. with all of this? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, I have an, the answer to that. I do probably have just a response of what we, the things that we could do. I think first um, is to realize that we might not all have the answer, like the answer, yeah. but we do have responses that, will, that I believe can move the ball forward. Yes. When I say move the ball forward, I'm talking about um, having less incidences that cause this kind of communal grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, I mean, I, there's nothing there's not new here for me in terms of uh, we need to do better, move forward in terms of some policy yeah. um, that can act as barriers. Yeah. Um, that's not going to solve all the, the world's problems for sure. But again, like I mentioned earlier, um, when people's hearts, you you got to let people's hearts catch up with policy. Yeah. But you have to decide one day mm-hmm. to do the right thing mm-hmm. and allow people's hearts over time to catch up. Yeah. Right? So we need better policies, and then we need to allow people's hearts to catch up with mm-hmm. better policy. Mm-hmm. We need to lean into the joy of our lives. Mm-hmm. We need cartoons and comedy mm-hmm. shows and children's laughter mm-hmm. and coloring books. Mm-hmm. Um, to stay sane. That's so good. And to stay saved out here. In yes. These, in yes. these streets. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, and then we need grace. Yeah. We need grace for each other. Mm. Um, I got a text out of the blue yesterday from someone who, who who's very different than I am mm. to say, the world needs more love. And I just wanted you to know that I care about you today. Mm. And that warmed my heart so much. Mm. Just little acts of kindness, yeah. one to another, yeah. I think, you know, means the world. And yeah. we just need to be a lot more thoughtful with yes. our words, yes. a lot more caring, a lot more kind intentionally. Uh, those are the things that, that I feel like mm. uh, will help us. Other people have other great things to contribute sure. to what, what would help us. Sure. But that's that's what comes to me. That's so good. That's so good. And I think, you know... I'm just trying to encourage people too that because everybody's voice does matter. And I think as much as understandably people want to shy away from certain kind of conversations and I get that, you know, like it's already a, a polarized and polarizing time. It's, you know, I just don't want more conflict. I also think, you know, um, it, we can only kind of speak to our own people where we come from. So like if everybody decides to, well, I'm not going to Thanksgiving this year because I'm just not even going to talk to like, well, that actually doesn't move the ball forward. Like, because I think especially when some of these things are overt, um, you might not feel like you've got a big platform you might or a lot of followers or whatever, but you calling out like really overt, overt explicit white supremacy and that kind of like hate speech, I think that really does make a difference. I think naming it makes a difference because we can't, cast out a spirit we're not willing to name even right. Jesus in Mark 5 you know my what is your name my name is legion for we are many and mm-hmm. these spirits are many but i think there's a naming that has to happen mm-hmm. and so as much as i know people want i think to be let off the hook there 
I think that naming really is important. It really is. And that is part of the work. And it may not feel like it may not feel big, but you don't have to be a politician or a preacher or whatever else to be part of this work in naming. Because part of what part of what naming does, if nothing else, is I think it gives us the resource um, to figure out how we repent. You know, like I know what I'm that's a lot of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to name some of these realities so that I know what I need to confess and, and repent. I got to figure out what repentance looks like for me. Absolutely. And I can't do that if I'm not willing to name some of these uncomfortable realities. That's right. That's exactly so, right. Um, you know, I, Cece, I can't thank you enough for being here. By the sure. way, um, Cece um, is going to be a regular contributor to the Zeitcast. I've immediately rubbed her in. So, like, she will be back as much as Sorry, folks. she can. Sorry. She will, as much as you will yes. be with us. So. No, you have to. This is so, so, so good. And, I, and already I feel it. Like, I feel... Like I always do when I'm with you, Cece, I feel energized, I feel refreshed, I feel revived because I feel like even, well, of course, I don't want to say even because it so goes together. Um, there is this prophetic critique, but there's also this life-giving spirit. And I think that's an important God, thing to model so. right now, that it's possible to both surgically take some things apart, attack some things, talk about it, critique it. And yet also there is this constructive spirit thing that happens, you know, because there is something we want to build here. We're not just trying to tear things down. We want to build the kingdom of God. Um, we, we, there, we are using the name of Jesus here. And in that spirit, Cece, if you're comfortable, I would just love it if you could just pray for us, whatever you want to pray, whatever you feel led to pray. Sure. I just feel like for, especially as so, so many of us are having a hard time feeling grounded right now and feeling centered. I just think it would be beautiful if we could yeah. just have a moment to just invite the presence in that way. Let's do that. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Um, God, the best thing that we can do is to call upon your name. Um, because in your name we find refuge and shelter yes. in times yes. of uh, storm. Mm. And we recognize, Lord, that there are storms all around us, that we are in a collective storm, yeah. that we are in individual storms. And um, we need you. Mm -hmm. We need you in deep and profound ways. Um, God, I, I won't try to tell you what to do mm. because I trust that you know exactly what to do. I just ask that you would empower us to do, help us to do what it is that you have asked us to do. Yes, yes. I ask for your peace. Mm -hmm. I ask for your love. I ask for your joy mm -hmm. for every person who is uh, listening to this podcast. Not just about what's going on, God, in um, our country or the world, but what's going on in their lives. I just pray. That you would be um, what you've always promised to be, which is ever-present. Yes. And so I just thank you for what you're doing and the ways you're moving, even when we cannot see. That's right. So, Lord, we just, um, we just ask for just more of your peace yes. and your love and your joy. Mm -hmm. And we ask that... Um, the rage mm. will be put to holy use. Yeah. And that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is mm -hmm. in heaven. Mm -hmm. And that you would um, help us to forgive our neighbors as mm -hmm. we need your forgiveness. Yes, yes. 
that you would help us to extend grace to one another in a very, very, very hard time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wish everybody could give a hand to Cece. You can give her hand from wherever you are. Thank you for being with us, Absolutely. friend. This is Thank awesome. You for having me. Oh, it's so good. Always, Jonathan. But we'll, we we get to, we're getting to make a lot of trouble together these days. Good yeah. trouble, and good it's trouble. so much fun. Good trouble. Um, we're having we're having a wonderful time, and it's such a blessing to have you speaking to my life, not just into things like this. So thanks for tuning in. So thanks, just want to encourage everybody um, because this is such a new venture. We're only a few days in. So I know a lot of you have subscribed already, but you have it. Subscribe, like, rate, review, share on all the platforms. Um, if you would help partner with us to make this possible. So, so appreciate that. If you go to uh, my Patreon via JonathanMartinWords.com, would very, very much appreciate that. So we can keep coming to you five days a week, but so appreciate already all the wonderful feedback. Also love to hear from you on Twitter, things that you like, think that you like uh, more of, any kind of feedback we value. So Twitter and Instagram in particular, I'm active on. So thanks so much, everybody, for being with us. Um, been so good to see you. Thanks, everybody.